Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. There's a lot of stuff I've learned. I've made tons of mistakes. I've spent a lot of money making those mistakes, and I'm here to help you avoid spending a lot of money and wasting a lot of money or losing money and, and making the exact same mistakes. I want to help you move farther down the road and help you avoid those mistakes. And I can't think of a better way to do it than to just answer questions that you have once a week live and just get into it and kind of have some back and forth as long as you're here live. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. Guys, I'm excited to be here with you again. I have another uh, Q&A replay. And these things, man, I'll tell you what, they are very, very popular. You guys are downloading them like crazy. Uh, you're tuning in for them. It is a blast. And uh, I think I'm onto something here. I think it's really something that's helping and moving the needle for a lot of folks, which is exciting for me. And I have another great one for you today. We talked about house hacking. We talked about remote real estate, right? Investing outside of your local market. We talked about screening tenants and what do you look for? What's important when you're screening tenants? We talked about past failures. Maybe you've started a business in the past, didn't work out well. How do you find the courage to do this real estate thing now? And we also went into Google AdWords marketing, right? I don't know how many of you are doing that. Google AdWords is a fantastic way to find deals. It's really my number one way of finding leads and deals right now in my personal business. So we got into that a little bit too. And uh, it was just a really, really fun Q&A. So I'm excited about this one, guys. Buckle up, get ready to write. I give you my latest Q&A. All right, welcome back to my q and I appreciate you being here. Uh, if you don't know who I am and you just stumbled upon this or you saw me uh, go live about 10 minutes ago and you weren't sure what it was about, my name is Mike Simmons. Uh, I am a real estate investor. I live in Michigan. I've been investing here for, uh, let's see, since 2008. Uh, so going on 14 years and about six, seven years ago, completely turned my business around, went from just doing a couple of deals here and there to uh, doing lots and lots of deals. And I'm here every Wednesday to uh, share whatever knowledge I can give you, whatever help you need. Um, so the idea is that we, uh, I come here on Wednesdays and you guys log in, ask me your questions, and I answer them to the best of my ability. Like I said, I've been doing this for almost 14 years. And I would say I've been doing it at an extreme level for uh you know, probably about seven years now. And and so that helps me help you guys a little bit. And hopefully I can answer some questions for you and, and get you kind of going in the right direction. Uh, I went from, like I said, just doing a couple deals here and there uh, to doing over a million dollars in profits. And I did it overnight would be a little bit of an exaggeration, but I did it within a year, which is basically overnight in business, right? To go from kind of a small time business, just sort of eking out a few deals here and there to doing, you know, eight, 10, 12, 15 deals a month, uh, and even more on some really, really good months. So 
there's a lot of stuff I've learned. I've made tons of mistakes. I've spent a lot of money making those mistakes, and I'm here to help you avoid spending a lot of money and wasting a lot of money or losing money and, and making the exact same mistakes. I want to help you move farther down the road and help you avoid those mistakes. And I can't think of a better way to do it than to just answer questions that you have once a week live and just get into it and kind of have some back and forth as long as you're here live. If you're listening to this on delay, uh, on my podcast, Just Start Real Estate. I have a podcast uh, called The Same Thing as This Page, Just Start Real Estate. If you're listening there, then you know, you're getting the benefit of being a fly on a wall, which is kind of cool. And so we do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. If you are into your business, if you're, you've already started it and you're just trying to get traction, you're just trying to figure out how to grow and scale. How do you get more leads? How do you get more contracts? How do you hire a team? And how do you build this business up so that you're doing seven figures or more, or even like high six figures? Not everybody wants to do seven figures. I get that but even high six figures, right? Something that will make you financially free and also a business that doesn't make you a slave to it, all right? I don't want you in your business 80 hours a week. That's that's no life either. So if you want to grow and scale your business beyond what it is now and you want help and you want someone who can just lay out a plan for you and show you what it takes to get that done, then I have a program that I've created for you. It's called the Seven Figure Investor. So if you go to Seven Figure Investor, and that's the word seven, not the number, the word seven, sevenfigureinvestor.com. You can see what I have for you. Uh, I made it very affordable. So literally anyone could uh, join and and benefit from the program. I want That's what I really what I want to affect as many people as possible, as many businesses as possible, and help you get to your goals this year, not in 10 years, not in five years. I want you to hit your goals this year and beyond. So go check it out. I would love to see you inside the program. It's a it's absolutely poured my heart and soul into it. And I truly believe it will transform your business. Uh, so go check it out. Okay, I am going to uh, go ahead and start answering the questions that come in. So these questions, uh, like I always say, they come in DMs, um, emails, just all kinds of different ways throughout the week. And we sort of put those together and then we answer them here on Wednesdays. If you're here live and you throw a question into the chat, I will prioritize live questions over questions that I got in an email or in a DM. So if you're here, don't wait for me to finish because I have enough questions that can last me a whole half hour. So if you want to ask me something just type it in the chat and um, the folks in the background here for me that are helping me out will get those in front of me and I'll answer those first okay but I'm gonna start with the ones that I got throughout the week and uh, we'll see what happens here as far as live questions first question I got uh, a person says I live in Long Island and I just started learning about real estate a few months ago. I'm trying to buy my first property to house hack. Do you think it's a good move to start someone else that is more for okay, I think they mean somewhere else. Do you think it's a good move to start somewhere else that is more affordable to build my portfolio? Um, yeah, it might be. I don't know um Long Island real estate. It sounds like it's expensive. When it comes to buy and hold, like rentals, a lot of times I do think it's a really good idea if you're in a very expensive market, it's a good idea to go into a different market to buy your rear rental properties. Because, you know, at some point when it comes to rental real estate, like if you were flipping, 
I would say, no, I don't think you necessarily have to go anywhere else. You can flip right in your backyard. High, you know, The cost of real estate being higher doesn't really impact you as a house flipper. You buy it at a certain price and then you're going to sell it at a certain price. And that's fine. When it comes to rentals though, if the rent rates don't keep up with the cost of the property itself, um, then you could have some issues having you know a profitable business, right? So I think in Southern California, it's next to impossible to buy single family houses, rent them out and have it be a good profitable business because the cost of real estate is just too high and you might be in that situation. So in the Midwest part of the country, there's many areas where you can achieve what is called the 2% rule. The 2% rule is you take the cost of the property, the cost of the house that you're buying, any renovations or upgrades or whatever money you put into it, and then you multiply that by 2% and that should be what you're charging in rent. It it needs to be what you're charging to hit the 2% rule. So for example, I buy a house, I'm just gonna use Midwest numbers. Let's just say we buy, and in simple math too, let's say we buy a house for 75,000, we put $25,000 into it to renovate it, we're all in for $100,000. The um, 2% rule says you need to charge $2,000 for that house to hit the 2% rule, okay? The 2% rule is, great um but it's very challenging to achieve that in a lot of areas in the united states there are areas where you can absolutely achieve that but not every place um in michigan we can get the two percent rule or at least we could a few years ago pretty easily i think it's still possible now a little more challenging but in a lot of the country a lot of folks a lot of real estate investors they really uh, play with the 1% rule. So the 1% rule says the same thing as the 2%, except it's just a slightly easier model to hit. So in the 1% rule, you're all in, purchase price renovation, $100,000. You need to be able to charge $1,000 for that uh, rental. If you're not able to hit the 1% rule where you are, then I would seriously consider going outside of your local market and buying somewhere where you can at least hit the 1% rule. I I don't think I would ever buy a property as a long-term hold, uh, traditional, like long-term rental, right? I'm not short-term. I'm not talking about short-term rentals now. I'm talking about long-term rentals. I would not buy a long-term rental where I couldn't achieve the 1% rule. I just wouldn't because I don't have to. I I can find the 1% rule pretty easily in a lot of places. The 2% rule is a little tougher, but it's achievable, but at least the 1% rule. So if you're not getting that in Long Island, if you can't buy a house for you know, whatever X amount times 1% and charge that for rent, then in rents are what they are, right? So if you buy a house in a neighborhood and you start looking at the, the rents around it, that's like a comp, right? In real estate, it, it's, a, it's a comparable. And if if they're you know if you buy a house for five hundred thousand dollars, like I don't know what real estate costs there, but let's just say you buy a house for five hundred thousand dollars, and you can't rent that house for five thousand dollars, which I'm sure that you can't, then it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's sort of not not awesome, right? Um, the only time that I've heard people say they don't get the one percent, but they're happy, and I don't necessarily think this is a good strategy, but it is a strategy that some people do, is they will say, I don't care if I break even on my costs with the rent, I don't have to make money because 
this is a house in a highly desirable area. It'll always be rented. And there's a very, very, very strong chance that it will appreciate significantly over the next 10, 20, 30 years. If that's what you're doing, people do it. I'm just, I, I sort of lived through the 2008, 2009, 2010 real estate market. And I was new to real estate, but I heard and saw enough that I don't like using appreciation as part of my strategy. Appreciation is is a pleasant surprise. It's icing on the cake. It's like, if I get it, great. If I don't, it's okay because I don't plan on getting it. That's how I treat appreciation. Um, you know, we're in a very strong real estate market. I mean, prices are just soaring and it's really easy to get lured back into the appreciation model. And I saw back in 2003, 2004, 2005, people were buying properties, holding them for a couple of years and then selling them. And it was, they weren't doing anything to the property. They were just getting the appreciation because houses were appreciating so fast. And I know I'm getting a little off track, but point being, if you're not making cash flow every month on a rental, then I, I think it's a really bad idea. And if Long Island is a place where you cannot achieve the 1% rule, I would go somewhere else. And there are companies out there, there's services out there where you can find ready to go turn, they call it turnkey properties, right? Uh, one of those companies, and I don't have any affiliation with them. I've interviewed the owner on my podcast, but it, they're called Roofstock. Roofstock is a marketplace where people can buy a turnkey rental, a house that is either currently rented or ready to be rented. And you can buy it in this, in this uh, Roofstock marketplace and you can just have a ready to go rental and you don't have to find it. Like you don't have to find it in terms of like going off market or bidding on the MLS. You just go right to this marketplace. You can buy properties. Most of them, a lot of them are already rented and you just start collecting rent. And and that might be a better solution than buying in an area that just isn't great for rentals. And it sounds like Long Island might be a little bit um, challenging. So if you're going to house hack though, right? Which is, I think what you said, yeah, house hack. That's fine. Because a house hack to me, you know, you can always sell it, right? If you if you buy this place and you live in it and you fix it up while you're living in it, if the rents don't make sense, you can always sell it and try to profit that way. I mean, it's kind of like a flip, um, but you can do that. That's, that's another way of house hacking. But if you're going to try to build a rental portfolio, I don't suggest doing it in a really high cost of, of real estate type market. I think it's a mistake. And I think you'll ultimately... You know, because the minute you have some sort of an expense, a roof, a furnace, um, you know, really bad plumbing situation, like you're just going to blow, you're going to blow your profits for a long time. So you really need to be, in my opinion, if you're a landlord, you need to be in a market where the cash flow is good. 1% or 2% rule applied. Um, that's what I would suggest. Okay. Next question. I have my first long-term rental ready to rent, and I'm wondering about necessary due diligence and screening potential uh, tenants. Can you go over some important things to consider? So what I've always heard and what I, I think is true, I, I think it's, a, it's legitimate, is when you're renting properties, right? You're a landlord. The people who are renting from you typically, a lot of times, most times, would buy if they had good credit and a good down payment. So 
inherently when you're when you're renting to people you can expect that they don't have a great amount of money saved up and or they have some issues with their credit and so the things that you, the some of the most important things that you want to consider when you're doing background checks is criminal record you know that's something you got to seriously consider um criminal record and credit is is important to look into however you're going to find with a lot of tenants they have bad credit and that's the reason why they're renting okay so you have to look at the credit issues what what is it that's dinging their credit and a lot of people will tell you and i i'll i'll tell you the same thing if they're hospital related stuff where maybe the person didn't have great health insurance didn't have any health insurance or they do have health insurance and it's the kind where you have to pay and then get reimbursed a lot of those a lot of times in those situations people will get a claim filed against them for a hospital type thing most landlords will to an extent overlook that they'll they'll take that into consideration and usually be very very lenient on hospital bills what you shouldn't be lenient on are mortgage issues in their credit not paying their mortgage foreclosures um any landlords who might have you know um filed some sort of a claim or something against them any judgments from from landlords in their in their uh in their past you just don't want somebody who has a history of not paying their house payment or their rent if if you if they haven't paid their mortgage or their rent in the past there's a really good chance they're not going to pay your rent and so anytime they have and even like car payments and things like that if they have a history of not paying bills on like credit purchases or mortgages or rents those are the big red flags you can't you can't have that other things i would have a conversation with them so that's the real big thing i would absolutely ask for references and call them if they have a landlord who says yeah uh they did rent for me and they were a constant problem with paying rent that's a red flag right i would never rent to somebody that i thought or i had reason to believe they were not going to pay me rent on time that's that's the biggest thing right um and so you know that it, you can look at like dogs and whether or not you'll allow that kind of stuff and and what you're going to charge but honestly i know that the people that are renting for me a lot of times don't have a lot of money in the bank and they also don't have um fantastic credit but you want to make sure that their income is sufficient um i think that their income should be two and a half to three times the rent per month just to make sure that they're able to pay all their other bills too, their living expenses groceries car payments all the stuff cable payments and all that and still pay the rent um so so those are the big ones I, I don't know that i would get too deep into the weeds and other stuff it's like criminal record revolving credit you know mortgages and other rents like were they not were they laid on any of those things did they default on any of those things if they have a foreclosure in their past and they might a lot of people have foreclosure and that's why they're renting but to me it's like you foreclosed you didn't pay your house payment why would you pay your rent payment and honestly right now <clears throat> rents are really rentals are really hot there's a lot of people that want or need to rent right now and so the market for renters is is pretty healthy 
So you don't have to feel like the first person who comes along who looks halfway decent, you have to rent to them. I don't have, I sold all my rentals, but I know people who have rentals, long-term rentals, and they're telling me that they're getting just insane rents. And the number of people who are giving them applications or telling them they want to, they want to rent their, their units is off the charts. So there's, you can be very selective right now. You can take your time because the work you do in the beginning, um, screening tenants, is it, it'll pay it for itself many times over going forward when you're not dealing with a problem tenant or someone who doesn't pay the rent or they're just a constant pain in your butt like do the work up front and make sure that you feel good about that person and then a lot of your headaches from long-term rentals will never never surface because you, you took the time up front okay uh next question <clears throat> Uh, I am buying my first investment property, which is a duplex, and it is fully rented. I have talked with the tenants and they seem like good people, but do you have any tips on how to manage inherited tenants to avoid problems with the transition? Well, number one, if they're on a month to month uh, lease, then I would sign them to a year lease. Um, and I would also make them sign my lease. So, you know, I would void the other lease, uh, you know, get them to buy in on that and just basically say, listen, I, I but, but I think I don't know like where you live and, and what the rules are, but I believe that you are obligated to give them, um, if they're under a current lease, like a, a lease that is not just month to month, that you have to um, honor that lease, like the, the, the amount that you're charging and things until the end of it. So if they're on a long-term lease and it's not near up, then I don't know that you can change their rent. Like legally, I think there might be an issue there. But in any event, I would have them sign my my lease. Even if I had to write the same terms in, I would have them sign my lease. Uh, and and I would do that, first of all. I mean, other than that, looking at rent rolls and, and what their history is with making payments, um, if they have no history of being late or missing any payments, then I, there's not much you really can do other than tell them that, you know, you're the new owners, you plan on being responsive, you hope and you expect them to take care of the property. Um, I would absolutely make sure you do a really good inspection on the before you buy it, take pictures and things so you know the condition so that you can have those pictures when and if they leave the property. If they don't leave it in the same condition, you have documentation of what it looked like when you bought it. But I, I say more than anything, get off on the right foot. Like they're probably nervous. I have bought properties that were already tenanted and I was going to leave them there. And the number one thing was they were terrified that they were going to get evicted. And, and so starting off on a good foot, telling them that you're happy to have them as a tenant and you hope that they remain a tenant and you know, you plan on being responsive to, to anything that needs to be addressed with the house, but you, in return, you expect them to take really, really good care of the house and to pay their rent on time. Other than laying those kind of ground rules and just making sure that rent rolls are good and getting them to sign your documents, I don't think there's a whole lot else you, you really can do. They're already there, right? They've already moved in and all their stuff is there. So you just want 
them to have a good feeling about you. And so there's no reason for them to withhold any sort of rents or do anything weird that way. So that's really it. I think just not going in there like, you know, a bulldozer and and acting like, you know, making, giving them a reason to be afraid that they're going to lose their home. That's really it. I, I just think going in and making, uh, you know, a really uh, good first impression and hopefully they try to do the same and just get started on the right foot. That's really it. But watch closely. I mean, I, I say, you know, I have learned over the years to be really careful about listening to excuses for making rent late or missing rent. I know COVID happened and I get it. There were some legalities around people being late for for paying their, their rent. But that aside, let's just say all things being equal with COVID not being part of it. I have learned to be very cautious about listening to excuses about late and missing rent because it usually ends up being a pattern, especially if you're super tolerant and, and okay with it in the beginning, you'll see it happen more and more. So I would say just let them know that you expect the rent to be on time. That's it. Like, and that you, and, but you have to keep your end of the bargain. If they have an issue, legitimate issue, like something that is, has to be taken care of, you need to get there and take care of it. Like now, like yesterday, right? Don't give them any reason to think that you're some kind of a slumlord or you don't care, or you're not going to be responsive. So that's it. Just good, good communication right from the beginning, set expectations and, and go from there. Okay. Next question. Uh, I was involved in a failed entrepreneurial venture in the past, and I'm having trouble finding the courage to try again with real estate investing. There also seems to be so many options with real estate. How do I get started again with something that will give me the confidence to continue pursuing financial freedom? So this is all like, this is all up here, right? It's all in your head. Like it's not real estate. It, it probably isn't even what you did in the past. Uh, my guess is if we really dove into your past entrepreneurial venture, you could look back with hindsight, you could identify where things went wrong. And if you had to do it again, maybe it wouldn't go poorly. Um, and so real estate is a fantastic uh, business. It just is. It always has been. And I think it always will be. But how do you get yourself confident enough to go back and do it? I mean, you're, the fact that you're going back and, and thinking about trying this again means that it's very important to you. Because if you got burned once and you didn't have to do it again, maybe you have a great job, maybe you love your job and you see a lot of you know potential in, in what you're doing right now for money, then you wouldn't even be looking into this. And so you have to ask yourself, why do you want to do it? And it always goes back to your why right? Why do you need to start a new business? Why do you need to own your own company? Why do you need to be an entrepreneur? And you need to answer those questions first, because if I, you know, if there's something that I want to do that makes me scared or apprehensive, the reason I'm doing it has to be more powerful than my fear of doing it, if that makes sense. And so starting a real estate investing company is daunting, especially when you don't know anything about it. Education will, will clear up a lot of that fear, but it won't make a difference if you don't have a really compelling reason why you must be successful. And that's key. And most people overlook this or they just say, I just want to make a lot of money. And that's, that's, they think that's their why. 
money is rarely a long-term sustainable motivation. It just really isn't. You ask anybody who's achieved financial freedom, financial success, you talk to especially people who are ultra wealthy, they'll be the first ones to tell you that money didn't make them any happier. Money didn't solve all their problems. It's, it's good to be able to pay your bills, obviously, but money was surprisingly unsatisfying to them once they had it. It, it just wasn't as big a deal as they made it out in their head. And it, I can also kind of prove this by if if you work at a company now, if you've ever worked at a company where they gave yearly reviews, and let's just say for the sake of argument, the reviews were in December, and then in January, everyone got their raise in their in their paycheck, right? You go into the review, they say you did a great job, they offer you know uh, a raise, and you're happy with it. You're happy the day you go home when you find out you got the raise. You're excited when you get your first paycheck where the raise was applied, right? Where the, where the additional um, income was applied. But at some point for everybody, it could be a week later, could be a month later, it could be six months later, could be nine months later. But at some point, that excitement and that gratitude of getting that raise goes away. And it's not that you're ungrateful, it just doesn't feel like anything special anymore. Like you got the money, you got the raise, a couple months go by, it's in your check every time. Pretty soon, that's just your check. You don't think about, oh my gosh, I am so grateful I got that raise last year, most people. And come December, you expect another raise. And if you don't get one, you're mad. You're not grateful, you're not happy. You don't go, well, listen, I got one last year, I'm good. Like I don't need another raise, I'm good. They really were, were great to give me a raise last year, no. It becomes normal. And so what people have found in business, contrary to what we thought for decades, that money made people happy, money doesn't really make people happy. They need it to the point that they can pay their bills and live comfortably. But beyond that, it doesn't sustain, it doesn't give them sustained happiness or even gratitude, honestly. And so money is a temporary high. It's, I always say it, it's, it's like sugar, right? Sugar doesn't make you full for a long time and it certainly doesn't give you energy for a long time. It gives you energy for a short period of time and then you tend to crash. And money does the same thing, right? I make way more money than I did five years ago, but it feels normal to me now. It doesn't feel like what it would have felt like if you would have told me five years ago what I was making now, I would it would have blown my mind, right? I would have been ecstatic, but it feels normal to me now. It money normalizes after a while, no matter what, right? So you have to figure out what is your why? Why are you doing what you do? Why do you care if you grow this business? Who is it going to benefit beyond maybe you? And, and, and if 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 it's just benefiting you, you're single, you don't have family, you don't have kids, nobody's around, whatever, that's fine. But what does it mean to you? Is it financial freedom? What does that mean? why is that important right well it gives me more time to you know build relationships and, and spend time with my friends why is that important right start digging down until you get to a point where the why is so compelling and so a part of of what makes you happy and what gives you joy in your life that the thought of not having that feels worse than the fear of actually starting a new business because honestly you know 
as far as starting a business goes, that's not you can start a business and and it not go well and you can stop before it's catastrophic, right? So businesses can come and go, but the the purpose behind why we get up in the morning, like why do you get up in the morning? Why do you even care if you have success, if you fail? Like what is the reason? What is it that drives you? What is that means the most to you? Like attach that to this venture, attach that to this new business. That'll that'll be more important than any strategy, any tactic, any education, anything that you learn along the way. You need that that thing that gets you off the mat. So when you have a bad day, and you will have bad days as an entrepreneur, it's, it's inevitable. There will be days that don't go the way you want them to. You need to have a why that gets you up in the morning and makes you excited again to go back out and try again. You just have to, that that why is critical. If you don't have a strong why, I don't think you can be successful in anything, certainly not business, right? Because business can be stressful, can be tough. And so you have to have a really, really strong why. Okay, uh, let's see, <laughs> let's see. We got some questions happening over there. Um, I've got one more question that's here that's in the queue. I've hit 30 minutes, but I can see that Nick jumped on and Angela, I don't know if we're putting that into the questions over here. Nick, let's see. I, I might have missed something, but it says, <laughs> all right. Yeah. So we're asking for clarification. Here we go. I'm just going to read it right off the screen because uh, I see it. If I was looking to start up PPC marketing in a MN, I'm, I'm assuming it's Minnesota market, how would you go about it? What would how do you know how much to put in it starting out so nick when it comes to ppc it's a it's a ppc for those of you who don't know ppc is like uh google adwords right pay per click is what ppc stands for it's google adwords um and it's a it's a type of marketing where you establish a budget it's it's an auction it's an auction based marketing strategy where you say for example i'm going to make my budget five thousand dollars and you bid on keywords that people type into Google, like sell my house fast in Minnesota, for example. And if you're if if you can outbid your competitors, you will show up in Google as the as the number one um, response in Google when somebody types in sell my home fast in, in whatever market you're in. Right. So, <clears throat> Nick, it's tough. I, I don't think that people who are not trained and really, really skilled at Google AdWord marketing should be doing it. It is definitely a skill set that requires a certain amount of knowledge to do it well. And if you don't have that knowledge going in, I think you should hire someone to do it. I really do. It's not the kind of thing that in my opinion, as a business owner, that you should be spending hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months trying to become really, really skilled at something that is not the best use of your time. I think hiring someone to do that, who has that skill set and they have that specialization, that's who should be doing it for you. And so because I have that strong belief, I don't do my own PPC. I have almost I, I have only on a couple of occasions gone into the dashboard of my Google Analytics and looked at what was happening and I'll be honest I didn't I didn't understand it I didn't even know what I was looking at exactly so I can't give you strategic advice but I, I'm glad I can't give you strategic advice because I don't want you doing it Nick I do not want you doing your unless that is a skill set you already have 
But if it's a skill set you already have, my guess is you wouldn't be asking me questions about it. But I don't think you should be doing it. Somebody else, you should hire someone who's skilled at that. That's their thing. Hire them to do it. But as far as like a starting budget, I think that's what you might have been asking me. How much would you put in starting out? It's a little bit of trial and error, but but the good news is it doesn't take long. It takes a month tops to know whether or not your budget is right. My budget in my market is $14,000. I'm not in the most competitive market uh, in the country. It is There is a lot of competition, but it's not as bad as some places. But I know that I rarely, if ever, spend more than $12,000 on PPC. So my budget is 14 because I never want to hit my budget. Because in PPC, the, the minute you hit your budget, you stop showing up in the search. You stop immediately. And so I don't think I ever want, I know I don't ever want my budget to be lower than what I actually would be spending to stay number one, number two in my market, right? But it is a little bit of a guessing game at first. If you've never done it and you don't have anyone to ask in your market, then you have to guess. And so, I don't know, $5,000, see what that does. If, you're, if your PPC shuts down on... You know, let's just say you start it in April. If it shuts, like by April 10th, you stop showing up in any search because you've hit your budget and you can go into the back end of Google and see, have I already hit my budget like limit? If you have, then you're not, there's not enough budget there to, to get you through the month. And if you hit it on the 10th, that tells me you, you've got to spend about, you know, you, you're at about 33% of what your budget should be. And so if you hit on the 10th, you have a $5,000 budget. On the 10th, you stop showing up and because you've hit your limit, right? You've hit your $5,000, then you probably need to have a $15,000 budget because you need to go, you know, 66% farther in the month, right? So you're about one third the way there. You have to go farther. So you just have to guess, honestly. I, maybe if you hired someone who's done PPC in Minnesota, you wouldn't have to guess. You hire a company and they go, oh, yeah, we have other clients in the area. Uh, this is what your budget has to be. Okay, then then you know. But if you don't have that option, then just guess. Put put a budget together that makes into it. It's not a thousand. I can tell you that. It's probably not thirty thousand. I can tell you that. Right. It's somewhere in between. So I would probably in any market, unless it was like San Diego or you know someplace, um, you know Dallas, Fort Worth area, like places I know that are really really um, expensive. I might start at 10,000 in those areas and see what happens. But in, it, in most markets, I'd probably start around 5,000, see what happens. My guess is it won't get you through the month. That's my guess. And you're going to have to raise it. But your budget can be a million. It doesn't mean you have to spend a million. Your budget's a million and you only spend 10,000, you only spend 10,000. That's why I make my budget higher than I think I'll ever have to spend to get to the first and second position of Google. Um, but beyond that, you definitely... Uh, have to hire it out. So, okay, I can see that you said you're going to hire it out. So that's good. I, I've I've a browbeat you into it. It's just not a good use of your time, man. It's not the dollar per hour doesn't make sense for a business owner. It just doesn't. Okay, Nick, I appreciate your uh, your presence. I appreciate your question. Thanks for that. Uh, I'm going to call it. We're about 36 minutes in. Uh, I'm going to call it for tonight, guys. Thanks for showing up and being here. I appreciate it. If you're listening to this on delay, thank you for that. As always, guys, I want to see you guys hit your 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 goals. If you want to make a seven-figure uh, income, then I, I want to see you get there and I want to help you get there. And so if you go and check out my program, I am here to help you do exactly that in-depth blueprint of how you get there. And you can get it by going to 7 figure investor. 
com. That's the word seven, sevenfigureinvestor.com. Go check it out. The program is starting very, very soon. And I hope to see you there. All right, guys. See you next week. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.